Welcome to the third in this series of sermons, which I'm calling How Do We Sing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land? And of course, while many of us have hardly strayed from home in the last three months, we are indeed in a strange land in that the familiar places in which we find ourselves have become very, very different. And that's partly, it seems, because we're increasingly recognising that some of the restrictions and the changes of habit that uh, have been forced upon us that I think most of us imagined were going to be around for a matter of weeks look as if they're going to be around for a lot longer than that. But also, I think it's becoming a strange land because recent events have changed us. They've changed the people we are. Some of us, they've challenged and changed our understanding of church and our society is changing, which, of course, causes us as God's people to ask the question, well, what type of church is needed in this new normal as it's coming to be described? Now, these are really good questions to ask. In fact, I think they are essential questions to be asking. But I sense that they are questions that we need to ask with an awareness of what the church is and whose people it is that we are. I've noticed in recent weeks, I guess through recent experiences, just how much of the biblical narratives are set against a backdrop of transition. And of course, it's one of those moments of transition when the settled people of Judah were invaded and taken into exile. That becomes the context for these words. How do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But it seems to me that the psalm writers, having asked that question, then made the mistake of looking to themselves for an answer to it instead of looking to God who, according to their contemporary prophets, had a somewhat different agenda to theirs. And so we might rightly ask questions about our own calling in the midst of this new normal. But it seems that we need to do so and also be careful to look in the right places for the answer to them. You know, let's remember that when Jesus announced to his disciples that the church was going to come into being, he did so by declaring, I will build my church, not go off and build a church of your own design, not even go out and build the church that the people around you want or build a church that you seem, think fits best into whatever new normal emerges. And time and time again in the New Testament epistles, this centrality of Christ in the building of the church is a defining feature of the narrative. He is the head of the body, the church, Paul reminds the Christians of Colossae. As you come to him, the living stone, says one Peter, you are being built into a spiritual house. And those New Testament writers were really only echoing what they learned from the old Unless the Lord builds the house, argues the psalm writer in a slightly more helpful mode, its builders labour in vain. And that's why in this third talk, I particularly want to focus on the prayer life of the early church. Now, we already know from Acts chapter two that the early believers were devoted to prayer. But I want to explore that a little bit further and ask, well, what kind of prayers did they pray? What did it mean to them when the New Testament writers spoke of them being devoted to prayer? Now, that's a big subject, which is why we've been looking at one particular instance of prayer that is recorded for us in our reading in the book of Acts in chapter four. And it's a moment 
of gathering just after the early believers begin to realise that life might well be difficult for them in this new and emerging world of Christian faith. You know, they would have been all too aware of what happened to Jesus when he was in Jerusalem. But since the coming of the Holy Spirit, things had actually gone reasonably well for them. Peter's bold sermon on the day of Pentecost had been really well received. Thousands thronged to join their community. They lived and shared together in this rich life of community. And they were keen to engage with the stories of Jesus. And so their life went on. And then one day as Peter and John are making their way to the temple to pray, they decide to take Jesus at his word. Jesus who had said, you will do greater works even than mine. And so they pronounce healing on a lame beggar who immediately rises to his feet and walks. Now events like that do not happen without people taking notice. And so the whole episode creates something of a commotion. And it would seem that the early believers who had so far managed to operate underneath the radar of the powers that be suddenly come to their attention. And Peter and John are summoned before the religious courts. Now, Peter, at this moment, does not mince his words. And he pretty clearly accuses the religious leaders of putting the Son of God to death. And not surprisingly, they're pretty outraged by that. And so we reach the point of a standoff. You carry on doing the things you're doing. You carry on saying the things you're saying. And we will come down on you hard, say the religious authorities. Or as we might say in our modern parlance, they were released with a caution. So how would you pray if you were faced? with that situation. How would you pray if you'd pretty much been told that if you don't keep your heads down and your mouths shut, if you don't stop witnessing the miraculous healing of strangers, you are in for some serious opposition. Now, I guess that my instinct would be firstly to pray, Lord, please make this problem go away. Make the leaders more kindly disposed to us or get rid of our current leaders and send us new ones. We don't really mind how you do it, but just Lord, please sort this out for us. And then maybe we might also pray, well, if you can't get rid of the problem, help us to work around it. Enable your servants to speak your message in ways that doesn't attract too much attention. Or perhaps we might not pray at all. We might just do a risk assessment and decide that in future, members of the early church should not engage in public healings because of the unnecessary risks that are involved. All of which are perfectly reasonable responses in our 21st century world. But that's not how the early Christians prayed. And as I reflect on this prayer that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 4, it does strike me that those early believers have come a long way from the people who gathered around Jesus on the day of his ascension and asked when he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You see, what lay behind that question was, well, when are you going to hand the reins of power to the likes of us, Jesus, so that we can create an environment where we don't have to face the kind of opposition and persecution that you had to face? And Jesus had said to them on that occasion, you will get the power you need, but it won't be the power to control the environment. It will be the power to withstand that environment. It will be the power to be faithful witnesses in the midst of that environment. And it seems that that is exactly how they prayed. Like I said, they seem to have come a long way since Ascension Day. And the fact 
But the writer of Acts has gone to the trouble of recording and writing down this prayer and including in it what is a including it in what is a relatively brief account of the comings and goings of the early church suggests to me that we're supposed to see this church, this prayer as significant. So let's just take a look at what it has to say and how it's been framed. First of all, they placed their situation within the purposes of God. They looked at their situation from the perspective of the purposes of God. Praying was partly about helping them to see their situation through God's eyes. They didn't ask God to rethink his purposes. And I think there's something significant in that because I sense that the dynamic of many of the prayers that I hear, if I'm honest, today are largely prayers that have worked out God's purposes for him and are employing God to deliver on the solutions that we've already devised on God's behalf. Now, perhaps I'm being unfair. I don't know. But what I can say is that here in the pages of Acts, we see a model for prayer that is very much about aligning our own experience with the purposes of God, not asking God to steer his purposes in our direction. And if God is the builder of the church, then we need to be a church that is listening for God's direction. We need to be a church that is looking to God to shape us, not asking God to fit in with our plans. And as they reflected on the purposes of God, so they not only remembered what Jesus had told them on the day of his ascension, but they remembered some of the things that were recorded in the Old Testament, which they were increasingly coming to recognise as referring to Jesus. And they remembered what was written in Psalm 2. Those like kings and rulers who are concerned with their earthly power and position will rise up against God's anointed. And so if God has anointed us with his Holy Spirit, we will not be popular with the powers that be. We will not be popular with people for whom power matters. And so they recognise that they were experiencing what Jesus experienced. And they also recognise that tragic and cruel as it was, this was all part and parcel of the deeper purposes of God. And so they acknowledged that if they were going to speak with boldness, they would attract the opposition that was already being threatened. But even in this adversity and struggle, they recognised that God's purposes could not be thwarted. God's purposes could not be thwarted by the powers that be speaking out their threats against God's people. And God's purposes could not be thwarted by God's people asking God to change them. So what did they pray for next? Well, if speaking boldly meant persecution and threat, they prayed that God would enable them to speak boldly. And they did not pray that they might speak boldly for the sake of speaking boldly. This wasn't some masochistic prayer of bring it on. But they prayed that they might speak God's word boldly. Time and time again, Jesus had emphasised that their calling was to make his message known. You will be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus had spoken of the work of the Spirit in exactly these terms. When the Spirit comes, he told his followers on the night before he died, 
He will guide you in truth. The spirit will make me known. The spirit will reveal what is right and what is wrong. The church that is truly filled with the spirit of God is a proclaiming church. And those early believers realized that in their context, if they were to speak the message of God with clarity and boldness, then it would most likely lead to persecution and opposition. And I find it fascinating that when they prayed, they didn't even mention their opponents in their prayers. They didn't pray for the problem to go away. They prayed for the courage to face it. They pray for themselves, but not in a selfish way, but in a way that reflects their absolute commitment to make the message of Jesus known. Lord, do whatever it takes. Help us to be willing to accept whatever it costs. Give us the strength to bear whatever it entails in order to make sure that we do not give up on proclaiming your message. That is how they pray. So stretch out your hand to perform signs and wonders, not for our benefit, because it is likely to cost us. And of course, just a few chapters later, they were to discover the full extent of that cost as the newly appointed Stephen was stoned to death. But stretch out your hand, they pray, to perform signs and wonders so that your message can continue to be witnessed and shared. And so they prayed. And as they prayed, God responded. The place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So I want to suggest that we need to not simply be a church that is devoted to prayer, but a church that is devoted to praying in the way that the early believers prayed. And I would argue that this particular prayer, perhaps here we have a framework for working out the answer to that question that I posed earlier. What? kind of church is God calling us to be and through this prayer I sense that we see God is calling us to be a church that is rooted in God's purposes not that is phased by changing circumstances or feels that its only future is to remain what it's always been but a church that is committed to working out and serving God's purposes in whatever context it finds itself and like those early believers we may need to reread our scriptures and to re-embrace the words of Jesus to work out what it means to serve those purposes in whatever new world emerges around us. And we need to be a church that is proclaiming the message of Jesus with clarity and boldness. And yes, there are circumstances in which that will be difficult. There will be those who will seek to oppose us at every turn. But our prayer in the face of that is not necessarily that circumstances will change back or work to our advantage, but that God will give us the power that we need, that God will work in ways to affirm our message, that God will enable us to rise to the task. And it is because of that and alongside that, that thirdly, we need to be a church that is filled with the spirit of God. As they prayed, they were filled again with the spirit, the spirit who dramatically came on the day of Pentecost, the spirit who led them into a life of selfless discipleship. Their instinct as events took a new turn and new normals began to emerge was to seek the anointing of the spirit afresh to equip them for whatever they faced. That's the kind of church that those early believers prayed to be. And that's the kind of church I hope we might also want to pray for God to make us into. 
So whatever new normal turns out to mean, we as God's people are not thrown into turmoil by it. But we simply are called to allow God to continue to work through us in it, to help us be a church that is rooted in God's purposes, that is committed to proclaiming God's message and that is filled with God's spirit.